0: Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello, everybody, and a very warm welcome to another edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this time we are watching the 1960s spy espionage series, Callan.
1: Yes, this is continuing our little Cold War series that we're doing at the moment. While well. Well, we, well, we're still alive to do them. Yes, b- before we end up with nuclear cinders, because we're, we're sitting here not really knowing whether we're going to be alive breathing by the end of the week.
0: <laughs> yes, every now and again the world does breed somebody that's quite insistent they're going to invade next door. Uninvited, uh, he's popped round for drinks and he's showing no sign of leaving. Kicked over the drinks cabinet. Been set sick on the, the carpet. Dog. Currently parading round in the hot tub, naked. On the theme, this is something we've been aiming to do for a long time. It is. What is Callan?
1: Callan was a very popular, very successful Cold War drama from the late 60s and early to mid 70s. started as a one-off play by James Mitchell called A Magnum for Schneider in the Armchair Theatre Strand. And on the strength of the popularity, that was commissioned for a six-part series. And there were three further series. First two are in black and white. Moderate survivability. There are two episodes from the first series surviving. The original pilot survives. I think there are about seven or eight maybe from the second series. One of which only survives as the unedited studio footage, so has been re-edited by Network for the, their release.
0: God bless Network. They don't have to put the hours in for these things.
1: Yes. The final two series in colour uh, survive in their entirety and have been given the Network treatment. There was a film and there was a quite an old thing called Wake Wet Job later on in the, um, I think it was early, late 80s, early 90s, something like that, which was a remaking of A Magnum for Schneider.
0: Who is in this thing?
1: Edward Woodward is Edward Woodward.
0: Yeah. It's a joy that name, isn't
1: it? One of my brother-in-law's favourite jokes. Um, why does Edward Woodward have four Ds in his name?
0: I don't know. Why does Edward Woodward have four Ds in his name? Because
1: without them, he'd be Iwa And with Mike, all you need to do is say Iwa and he's in fits of laughter. My family are generally is a fairly easily joke? placed.
0: <laughs> Was he in all of them? Was he all the way through? Yes, he's yeah. Callum
1: right the way through. Um, his boss is his hunter, and hunter is a code name. So right. there are a number of hunters throughout the series. Callan is an ex-soldier, uh, working class. He often has a, a, a more establishment and upper class rival. In the early years, it's somebody called Mears, played by Anthony Valentine. Later on, it's Cross, played by Patrick Mower. There is a supporting character who is a civilian contact of Callend in the the London criminal fraternity, a, a thief called Lonely, um, played by Russell Hunter.
0: Oh, crack, So a very familiar cast then.
1: Yeah, and in the later series, Hunter's secretary called Liz gets a, a more of a pronounced role. And, and there's, there's one of the, I think, final season episodes that is purely based around Liz and her history.
0: So it's a bit Avengers-esque then in no. terms of the... Stu- no, it's no. not, no. Not Avengers in the slightest. Uh, the setup of the team rather than the actual... Nope. No. No, not, not even that? Not, uh, not, not even at
1: that. all. Um, because the Avengers is steed very loosely or sometimes not at all controlled by a fairly hands-off boss. Mm with civilian accomplices who are sort of on equal footing to steed. Callan is very tightly controlled and very definitely under specific orders from Hunter. If he deviates from those orders, he gets a bollocking. Um, He has a civilian contact, a number of civilian contacts, but Lonely is the major one. But Lonely doesn't actually know what Callan does or who he works for. Now, later on in the series, I think fourth series, Lonely is brought into the into the section and works for them as a courier and a low-grade undercover operative. But for most of the series, Lonely just thinks of Callan as Mr. Callan, who does some slightly dodgy stuff that he doesn't want to know any details about. Very different to The Avengers. It's kind of a, air quotes, realistic mm-hmm. spy drama that started off with probably The Rat Catchers. And then goes through Sandbaggers, Mr Palfrey of Westminster, the John Le Carre adaptations, Spooks, and I guess currently has ended up with things like the Bodyguard and the Jed Mercurio mm. stuff.
0: Before we carry on, I'm thirsty. Can we have a drink? If you insist. Tonic screwdriver
1: out, led off the
0: gin. And
1: I found one called Hunter's Gin.
0: You have indeed. This is a Cheshire gin, unique and sublime, export strength. It is 43.3% and the info bollock says Hunter's Cheshire gin is a higher quality, export strength London dry gin full of character, with its heart in Cheshire. Subtle citrus overtones with a spicy fruit edge using Cheshire apples from historic Norton Priory Gardens' own orchard. A single batch distillation from a 300 year old recipe, including Balkan juniper berries and coriander, Iberian lemon and sweet orange peel. Florentine Orris root, French angelica, and Madagascan cinnamon bark, a unique and sublime fusion of highest quality botanicals and alcohol. Well, there's a lot going on in there from the description.
1: Nasal appraisal, Dr. Exton. It smells like gin. There's a little junipery tang. Splishy splashy. Tastes like gin. Tiny hint of a citrus edge. Um, otherwise it's just a nice smooth gin. It's just gin. a nice smooth gin, yeah. There's nothing I'm say just. There's no such a, thing as just a nice gin. It's merely a gin. It's very nice. I wouldn't say that it was in any way unique and I don't Sublime. I mean it's very nice. I am not sure I'd be quite flowery enough to call it
0: sublime. I couldn't pick it out of a lineup if I'm honest. But it is but it's, it's nice. Just,
1: if you had this as a house gin in a pub. You'd be very happy for mm. it, and you'd go back for more. But you wouldn't search out a bottle of it. Yeah. But it's nice, it's smoothly blended, it's going down a treat. Are you in four territory? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, four.
1: It, it's, an, it's a very safe four.
0: We're just having this with Indian tonic. We've not got any fruit in it or anything silly like that. And I've got plenty of ice in mind. Dr. Exton's got a moderate amount. Uh, it's cold. It's, it is actually going down a treat. But bringing glasses, let's descend into the Under Gallery here at Podcasting House and see which doors we're going to open today. Which one do you fancy?
1: I'd like the round window, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are you rescuing from God, the Black God, Archive God today? Really please I know, I know. <laughs> little, 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 oh.
1: I'm going to keep in with the Cold War spy drama theme. I would like to add missing episodes of Codename. It's an early 1970s colour ITV drama. I think it was ITV. it's ITV. Set around a, a university, or with a, a team based out of a university. And one of the regulars was Alexandra Bastido of oh,
0: Sharon really? McCready Fact. The most immaculate woman ever committed to film.
1: The pilot exists, but I don't think has any of the regular characters. Right. It was then picked up again with a whole new set of characters, but with the the same basic premise, and none of the the regular series episodes exist, so I would like all that back, please.
0: Well, I've got a bit of a crowbar this time, but it's uh, I'm going to take us next door into the Imaginarium. Mine is a Doctor Who. It's the series of Doctor Who with John Hurt. John Hurt, was he played a, a lost incarnation of the Doctor in the 50th anniversary episodes between the 8th and 9th incarnations that basically he fought in the war. He abandoned all his roots as the Doctor and his character was extremely different and a big finish of taking this and run with it and they've they're slowly peeling away the layers, or they were, and then John Hurt sadly died. But he was basically an agent of the CIA on Gallifrey. Not entirely cooperating uh, in the war effort against the Daleks and the Time War, but he was basically a CIA operative.
1: Which is a wonderful idea. Yeah. Um, it was brilliantly done uh, on telly mm. for, for his one appearance. My problem with what Big Finish have done is my pro- problem with an awful lot of what Big Finish have done is that they've taken a wonderful idea and stretched it way beyond credulity. So it's not just their series of what John Hurt's doctor was doing in the Time War, but we've also got what Paul McGann was doing in the Time War, and what Tom Baker was doing in the Time War, and what Colin Baker was doing in the Time War. And all of these doctors' input into the Time War. Is diluting the John Hurt storyline.
0: Um, I do agree with that. Actually, I don't think that because I think there's a new series just been announced at the time. It's February 2022 with Colin Baker as a an unbound Doctor. But yes, uh, more John Hurt Doctor Who. That will be in my Imaginarium conjuring for this time.
1: Right. Well, I'm going to lock the door on that. Please it's do. A bad idea.
0: Can we go and watch Callan? Yes. <laughs> Without further ado, we're back in the viewing room. It's time to run VT. What are we watching first? Um, First episode. Uh, First um, or the pilot?
1: That is the first episode. First episode of of Callan is the armchair theatre pilot, a Magnum for Schneider. That's what we're going to watch first.
0: You've gone on about this for so long, and I'm really looking forward to this. Press play. Stay
2: where you are.
0: He's with me. Isn't
2: very nice, Mr. Callan, is it? I'm not a very nice fellow. I find it strange you shouldn't have a gun also. Well, my mates, the heavy. Two of you, one with a gun. I find you burgling my house, you attack and kill me. Is that the story? You knew you had to die, Schneider. Your police were on to me. Surely your chief knew that. They had no proof. And the man who sent you two, he had proof? Enough to want to kill you. Ah. Now, regretfully, I have to kill you, both of you. You should have warned me, Mr. Callum. I'm really very sorry. Schneider. not will now. So am I. My God, you took your bloody time.
0: Okay, that was the pilot episode. Uh, Well, technically the pilot episode of Callan. It was Armchair Theatre, a magnum for Schneider from 1967. That was rather good, wasn't it?
1: It was. It was one of a number of pilots for other TV shows that were trialled in the Armchair Theatre range. And... Some went on to series. Um, This went on to become Callum. Um, Never mind the quality field, the width, went on to a full series. Other things like the Omega Mystery didn't. Armchair Theatre is also where the Out of This World strand started off. Oh, really? Right. Yes. I think it was a John Wyndham that they did in the Armchair Theatre strand. And on the strength of that, they got the full series for Out of This World. Which was kind of a precursor for Out of the Unknown. Mm. So, th- this wasn't the first time this had been done, and it was, wasn't the first time it had been done successfully. It's probably the biggest spin off that Armchair Theatre had because Callan, when it became a full series, was phenomenally popular.
0: Really? Oh, oh yeah. right.
1: Um, I remember my, and my, my grandma wasn't really one for spy or war drama or anything like that, but she loved Callan. I know we haven't done it yet. The credits for Callan are very simple and very, very effective. It's just a swinging light bulb at a plain brick wall and illuminating Edward Woodward's face. It's really well done. And the theme tune, which is the same music as they use throughout this, mm. is just simple and evocative and one of the most memorable TV themes of the 60s.
0: Well, before we go any further, I want to do a quick plot summary. And this is taken from IMDb. The first adventure of David Callan, a top agent for the SIS, forcibly retired several years earlier because he'd lost his nerve. Callan is called back into service to handle the assassination of Schneider, a German businessman who may be more than he seems. This could be Callan's last chance to prove he's still a worthy agent. Callan, played by Edward Woodward. ewa woo wa exactly. He's memoing at me. Uh, Schneider played by Joseph First, Professor Zaroff himself.
1: In a much more understated performance. Slightly. Nothing in the world can stop me now.
0: And Ronald Radd as Hunter, 37, this man. 37. He's had a
1: hard paper round.
0: 37. He was dead 10 years later. But goodness me, 37. He reminded me of Ronson from Genesis of the Daleks, for a our, our single listener out there who may or may not know who that is. But 37? Get a fuck!
1: I mean, he may have been smoking caps in full strength since he was about
0: four. From the womb, I would think, to look like that. Anyway, uh, but the cast actually, Peter Bowles was also in this as well as... Yes. Yes, thank you. Yeah,
1: he's the one that Anthony Valentine plays in the full series.
0: Right, Callan's re-recruited and sent on this assignment, but the whole way through, there's no trust at all with the people that he's actually working for.
1: and Justifiably so, because they're they're observing him and stabbing him in the back. And obviously um, Hunter is testing him to see if he can come back into the section. The reason uh, Callan was got rid of in the first place is because he had a conscience about the people that he was killing. And Hunter thought that that was unlikely to go away. Now, quite why they then felt they needed to get him back in... Maybe they didn't have anybody that was as good as he was. And certainly Mears, who's the other section member that you see, is outclassed by Callan mm. at every turn. If Hunter and Mears had just let Callan get on with it, the whole thing would have gone like clockwork. Oh, yes. But Callan gained but- Schneider's trust mm. by discovering that they have a common interest in wargaming. And uh, after a bit of two and fro chat, in the meantime, Callan sees that the police are taking an interest in Schneider that they've picked up that he is probably a a gun runner. Callan becomes certain of that when he finds some pencils with the logo of the arms uh, manufacturing company from Hong Kong in Schneider's uh, office. And so Callan agrees that he's going to go ahead and and do the assassination as long as the police are off his back. So Hunter says, yeah, that's not a problem. Callan gets hold of a gun and then swaps it for the gun manufactured by the company that Schneider is importing as as a sense of irony. Callan goes round to, to Schneider's house after having sort of cased it and broken in beforehand just to confirm that he, he is doing what he has been accused of and is aware of the, the loss of life that the guns that he is facilitating the export of is costing. So Callan realises that Schneider needs to die tells Hunter he's going to go and do the job at 11 o'clock, goes around in the evening and does some some more gaming. And about 10 past 11, the police turn up and find Schneider still alive, and Callan realises that he has been set up by the section. At the same time, Mears has knocked Schneider's wife unconscious and is in their bedroom, disturbed by Callan. They have a scuffle. Callan locks Mears in the bedroom and Mears starts disabling the lock. Schneider comes back in after having got rid of the police, realises that this has something to do with Callan, searches Callan and doesn't find his gun. And that search is interrupted by Mears coming out of the bedroom. With the distraction with Mears, Callan shoots Schneider and then knocks Mears unconscious. as sort of retribution for Mears having done that to Callan earlier in the day so that he could search his flat. Callan then leaves the flat, phones Hunter and says, job's done, your agent is still in there unconscious." And I'm not going to go back in and get him. And I'm not going to come back and work for the section. And then calls the police. And the, the final scene is Hunter telling his secretary that Callan's status is, is to change from an observation file to a kill file. The
0: end. It was all very good. Superb.
1: Yeah. Very well written. Very well acted. You can see how this builds on Avengers episodes like
0: Death on a Slipway, mm. which was also written by James Mitchell. Ronald Rad was 37. You've mentioned... 37. Uh, There were some lovely bits inside Callan's head, which I thought was a nice little touch. Does that carry on in the series? I
1: can't remember. I don't think so. He's
0: got internal monologues going on now and Mm -hmm. then, and they really work. And it's a test. It's a credit to Edward Woodward that... uh, (laughs) That fucking name. uh, That it's A, well-acted, and B, well-timed, because they're obviously inserts after they've been filmed, because obviously he's not speaking the dialogue. Unfortunately... It's very badly timed, but he reminded me all the way through of Vladimir Putin. (laughs) And
1: as soon as you said it, I could see exactly what you meant.
0: Yes. Uh, Boys and girls, for those of you with access to the interweb, just Google a young Edward Woodward. You are. Oh, dear, oh, dear. There's some lovely spy stuff and gadgetry in this. So when he breaks into Schneider's house the switch behind the lamp thing to disable the alarms and uh then he walks in and there are there are light beams to trip the alarms which he realizes and he's searching through cabinets for hidden switches the power source to the safe that's in a switch on the opposite wall it's all very nicely done he wears gloves he's got and then there's a, again a nice bit of jokey business when he's cracking the safe he's got his stethoscope up to the dial and he's talking to the safe like a doctor to a patient. Just cough for me, would you please? It's just lovely little yeah. bits of stuff like that. Real whimsical quips.
1: Although we don't do that bit with a stethoscope.
0: Cough. That's just an excuse to feel people's balls, isn't it?
1: No, it? It isn't actually. There's a good reason to do it. But.
0: Yes, brace for impact. Um, there's, there's also he's got. His, he's clearly got already. Callan's got his network of contacts. We see lonely in this. Who is this? Is he homeless or just a... He's a, just smelling. He just stinks. And he's told all the way through that he stinks. That's his defining characteristic. Um, and
1: why he's called Lonely.
0: Yes. But already, even within a pilot episode, the, the, all the characters are well-defined and thought out and this whole structure, it's all in place. That, that It's screaming for a series already, that.
1: yeah. And Callan and Lonely are the two characters that go right the way through the series. Uh, Hunters are replaced. Mears disappears and is replaced by Cross, but Hunter and Lonely are right the way through. And they're the one, the two leads in the big finish.
0: Oh, uh, so, yeah, yeah. you've. Seen Lonely it,
1: yeah. is the one that's played by Frank Skinner. Oh, right. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant.
0: I mean, obviously, you've seen this before. You're familiar with the series. You're familiar with the Armchair Theatre episode. What did you think of that as a pilot? I,
1: I loved it. Yeah, I've seen this a good few times before. I always enjoy watching it. Um, once every few years is, in, is enough. It's not something that you can re-watch and re-watch and re-watch. But it, it's very clever. It's very well done. It's very atmospheric. Until you were talking about it as we were watching, I'd not
0: actually tweaked about their, <laughs> the design of their gun range, having a, a door in the middle of it. A door literally next to the targets. Uh, so you just walk into this shooting range... Right in front of where the shots are being fired. It was a a slightly interesting design. I suspect health and safety might come down on that. Compliance might write a a negative report. But yes, so so what what are we watching next? Is it the next episode?
1: I, I I can't see 1960s shooting ranges without thinking,
0: my mother was a suffragette. Ah, the reference is lost on me. Corridor people oh for fuck you see I've edited it out it does... um, the corridor people I refuse to let it take up space in my brain apart from fragments like that nothing computer do you not know,
1: remember the whole armourer who was sending the female assassin out with blanks because yes, um, yes. They, the gun is the last phallic symbol and uh, his mother was a suffragette and oh god I'm, I'm told they even have an extra layer of fat
0: the corridor people the... oh no Move on. If, we if need, you've you know? of okay. it, maybe we need to we revisit don't, it. We don't. We don't. I should have thrown the DVD on the fire, but I have It's haven't. all right. I have spares. What is the next episode we're watching?
1: What we're going to watch now is the surviving two episodes of the first season of Callan from 1967. And actually they um, they started production almost immediately on wrap of the Magnum Schneider because the first one was out within a couple of months. There are only two surviving episodes of the six episodes of the first season, the first and the sixth, and we're going to watch both of them. So we're next going to watch the first episode, which is called... The good ones are all dead
2: gorgeous wasn't he let's take a look at him now not so gorgeous the war's over Hunter I've left the section what's the section for Kelly? eliminating people framing extortion death all the jobs that are too dirty for her Majesty's other security forces to touch precisely you were my best man I want you for this you sat me remember he said I was too soft well, I'm still soft, Hunter. I still worry about the people I killed. I'm done with you, mate. I'm finished. Nobody's ever finished with me. Callan, I want you for just this one job, Callan. I'm not asking to rejoin the section. Goodbye, Hunter. I think you better have a look at your file, Callan. Red cover. Most urgent, marked for death. Do you remember my filing system. You'll do this for me, or I'll have you destroyed. I mean it. I used to get the red ones. You were good. You got anybody good now? Good enough. Well, there is just one more thing, Colonel Hunter, sir. Yes. I know you can have me killed, but don't you push me too far, will you? Because I might just let myself be killed. Only you won't be there to see it, because, mate, I'll get you first.
0: Oh, that was really, really rather good. Dr. Axon, what is the pricey of this story?
1: Well, before we get to the pricey, what I'd just like to point out is how good the title sequence and the theme tune is. It's one of those absolutely iconic theme tunes where once you've heard it, it just reminds you of the, the show. It's like The Champions or The Tomorrow People. It is just absolutely anchors you. In that show. And and I know you're only two episodes in, mm. so you haven't really got that anchoring yet, but you will have. By the time we're finished, this will be in your head.
0: Do you know, I've got to say, the, the first thing that struck me was I was really impressed they'd kept the same theme from Armchair Theatre mm. and carried that over into the series because it was so good. Yeah,
1: and I suspect there's a chunk of the Armchair Theatre play was always intended to be a pilot for Callan, the series.
0: Having only seen a handful of armchair theatres and knowing that there's there's a lot missing, I'm guessing that it was sort of a testing ground.
1: Um, Yes and no. There are a few plays that were used as a testing ground for other series, but no, generally it's just a place for quality drama. I've, I've got all of the DVDs. There's a few extras that I've got in addition to the DVDs. We will do a load of armchair theatre because some of it is just superb. I thought we'd done one for a previous episode as an in memoriam. We've
0: talked about it. There's Possibly. one where somebody died. Oh, that doesn't exist. They died mid episode.
1: Yeah, and in the advert break they were rewriting ce- and they were rewriting scenes as the episode was going along.
0: What a story and a half that is. I wish that still did exist. But getting back to... Getting back
1: to Callan season one, episode one, it is the story of Callan's reintroduction to the section from the end of Magnum for Schneider. He's still not working for them. He still doesn't want to work for them, but they're pressurising him into doing a job against somebody that they feel is deserving. So they send him to work for somebody, again, who is in import-export, who is an ex-SS officer, has been denounced by his girl, his French girlfriend. Callan goes in to make sure that this is the right person. He fails to ingratiate himself with either of the people working in the office, because he's not really a people person, but does find out that they're going out to the, the opera that night. He's also contacted by a very bombastic member of Israeli security who rides roughshod over all of Callan's reasonable objections to speeding the the process of identification up more quickly. Uh, but in the end, they, they agree that the Israelis, and they have a, a witness to the identity of this SS officer who they take along to the uh, the opera while he's there, and this witness is able to say, yes, that's him, so they make a plan to capture the SS officer. In the meantime, Callan has got into the safe in his flat, found his old SS uniform, bag full of gold teeth, a number of other fairly incriminating things, including a, a gun that kind of looked like the, uh, the, the old Luger pistol. Uh, l-
0: you see, Luger was the... that was the word. It was never mentioned the whole episode, but that was the word. I was. But it,
1: it's what it looked like. It was. Yeah. Callan takes all the the bullets out of it, puts everything back is spotted coming out of the officer's bedroom by his girlfriend. Callan leaves something on the floor in front of the safe because he's having to put everything back in such a hurry. So she comes and says, you left this behind. And he levels with her and says, look, I know that you denounced him. There is absolute proof of what's going on. You need to just keep out of the way. So she goes and hides herself in her bedroom. In the meantime, the Israeli officer barges his way into the flat and says i have i have to see me it kind of tries to wreck the operation realistically although yes not deliberately it's just being i want to do this i want to do this i want to do this even though callan is saying you are going to wreck things you brought me on board because i'm good at my job let me do it the girlfriend has another fit of conscience and lets the ss officer know that she's denounced him and that callan is an agent then she heads off out of the flat Callan has a long scene with this SS officer who, in the meantime, has dressed himself up in his uniform. And behind the lapel of each of his jackets, he's got a suicide tablet. So he tries to commit suicide. Callan stops him, rips the lapel off his SS uniform. And then they, they talk and they, they, there's a lot of talk about I've I've had nightmares for the last 20 odd years and I am now a different person than, than I was and Callan turned around and said, well, OK, I'm going to take you out to the car now. You need to put a different coat on and hands him a coat that he knows has a cyanide pill. So he takes the cyanide pill and Callan just phones up and said, you can come and collect him now. By the way, he's committed
0: suicide. I really enjoyed this one. But I, I, I've said that about the preceding one. There's a, a few very scant notes that I'll make about this episode
1: I didn't make any notes because I was just transfixed. And I've, se- I've seen all of these episodes several times before, and they are absolutely spellbinding. One of the things I particularly like about it is what a light touch there is in terms of music. There's big chunks of silence, and it's really atmospheric. That's a
0: very good point. Well, I've, I've not noticed until now, but yes, there is. There's a lovely pre-credit sequence where Callan is with... 110? No. Hunter. Hunter. And it directly follows on from the pilot, the Armchair Theatre pilot. I really loved that as a bit of continuity for people that knew and also an establishing shot for people that didn't know what the setup was. They didn't need to do that. They could have just started a series. The internal monologues continue. I really loved that from the pilot. They carried that on with, presumably, the rest of the series, but it really works. It I, sets it apart.
1: Yeah, I don't remember how through, how far through the series it goes. I couldn't remember that they'd done it. It's a good few years since I've seen this. And actually, it works so well that it didn't stand out to me as something unusual or something to make a point of. Uh, I mean, obviously, coming through and podcasting, you see things in a different light. You're paying more attention to the, the details of the production Rather than just putting it on the telly and wallowing in how wonderful it is, which is how I've experienced Callan's previously,
0: it's a very, very slightly less Putin performance than the uh, the pilot. So unfair! <laughs> in the pilot, it was Putin. In the first episode, it's a subtle shift. He's got
1: that- a different haircut. That's what it is.
0: No, it's not that. But there's a no, no, no. Let me finish. no, 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 no. Let me finish. The whimsy is still there. The performance is is sort of a shift to a cross between Michael Caine and Daniel Craig. And I really like this Callan compared to the Callan of the original episode. Now, there's a a logical progressional shift. They can tie together. But the Callan of this episode is more... Because there's a doubt to draw comparisons... James Bond has a confidence all the way through until you get to the Daniel Craig era, and there's a sort of a, a self-doubt. I'm like, really, should I? No, this is this is my mission. You yeah, know, should I? And that's the Callan. It's all the way through, particularly with this one, where the in both of the episodes we've watched so far, the antagonist has not been that much of a god, and Callan has been a little bit. I don't really want to kill this person actually, but that's my mission, but I don't really want to. The
1: thing that this reminded me of when I was I was watching it and the conversations between Callan and Strauss. Yes. Yeah. Was the final Oh, no, about the the, the the final half of the Kavanagh QC episode, Ancient History. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. With I, Patrick I, Reeves mm. as the, somebody who'd been a, a Nazi doctor and had been exemplary GP in between, and all of that counted for nothing. Now, with this, it was 22 years after the end of the war? That specifically raises some really interesting questions that neither you or nor I were in a position to answer mm. because we weren't around then. And you can look back and you can know all the facts and figures and you can be historically sympathetic, but we weren't there being bombed.
0: Mm. I imagine it was the same at the time, though, because it's 22 years. The main antagonist of life, he clearly wanted to distance himself from the man he was to the man he'd tried to be. For two deco- uh, How
1: much of that is wanting to distance yourself from what you've done, and how much of that is wanting to distance yourself from who you've been as a safety net?
0: Right. Okay, if you want to distance yourself from somebody as a get-out-of-jail-free card, yeah, that didn't come across in this, or in the Kavanaugh QC episode, that they both came across as, I was doing my duty, I don't agree with my duty, that man should die. I am a different man now, and I have been for 20 years.
1: That came across more strongly in the Kavanaugh QC than it did in this.
0: Oh, nazi I didn't see that. I saw a man who um, he'd really suppressed 20 years, and then once he was found out and he was cornered, the SS Nazi came out. He must die. It was not a... Yeah, I did my duty. It wasn't that at all.
1: No, but you wouldn't expect it to be. The visual shock was exactly the same in both because each of them came out in their 1945 clobber. Now, okay, in this one, it was coming out in the SS SS uniform, whereas in the Kavanagh QC, he came out in his Prisoner of War uniform that he'd killed somebody else to obtain.
0: I was more sympathetic towards this version than the Kavanagh QC version because I, I genuinely got the impression that this was a man who had, he had done what he had been duty obliged to do, didn't particularly care for that for self, and wanted that, that side of him to die because he'd fallen in love. He'd um, spent 20 years with that persona trying to suppress it. He'd fallen in love and all of a sudden... Life had taken on a new meaning. He did not want to be anything to do with that person anymore. I totally sympathise with somebody who wants to forget their past completely, or a, a chunk of their past completely.
1: But with something like this, where, yeah, you might have had sleepless nights for the last 20-odd years, but he'd killed thousands of people. And Again, there, it
0: was it was under orders. He was juicy bound to do it. It's not. It's not like he was some well, sort no, of crazed he, megalomaniac. He was the one who was in
1: charge of that particular unit and the the whole thing. And the, the thing that is really telling with this is that the person from Israel that had come over to identify him was somebody who had been his house slave. Yes, um, and who had had his ribs broken after having worked for him for months for breaking a single plate. Now, that's not somebody who is doing things under orders. That's somebody who is doing things because they can.
0: The problem that you and I both have is that First and Second World War soldiers on both sides didn't necessarily believe in what they were fighting. They didn't really want to go and kill Germans or allies.
1: And didn't have a great deal of choice about it. And uh, deserters on both sides were shot. That is absolutely true. But he wasn't a soldier. He was quite a senior officer. He was in charge of the Slave Labour Force. But
0: did he have a choice? I mean, bear in mind, we're talking here about a fictional character, but Um, would he really have had a choice? If you were that high up in the science community, hmm. would you have had a choice? You wouldn't. And I am sure the same was true on the Allied side. You don't have a choice.
1: But there are ways and ways of doing the things that you have been told how to do. And kicking three broken ribs into somebody who just breaks a plate is the thing that tells you you are not minimising your damage. We're getting quite Deep. deep and philosophical.
0: I had sympathy with the character. And it's fairly obvious that Callan had sympathy with the character. Otherwise, he would not have given him the cyanide pill on that lapel.
1: And I have sympathy with the character, but it's a conditional sympathy. So, shall we go on to the next
0: episode? What is the next episode?
1: Okay, we're going to be watching Season 1, Episode 6. You should have got here sooner.
2: I had no money, no one I could turn to. I was desperate. And so you stole my ring. That's enough. Wait outside, please. Who did you sell it to? Jewelers in Kensington, Vanzetti and Reed. Did you by any chance keep the receipt? You always carry it with you. are you frightened your daughter might see it. I love my daughter. thank you. wait outside please. this is my house you know. hardly. It sold it two years ago. there's a description of it here. four and a half carat ruby, surrounded by diamonds. yes that's the one. we've got to get it back. yeah of course somebody uh somebody might have found the microfilm by now. Yes, well, we've got to be sure. there you are Callan. Well, it might have to be a burglary. you'll need lonely for that in easy in hospital. i want you to do it. it'll cost you? how much top rate all right top rate and make the checkout too lonely
0: right so that was you should have got here sooner which was written by James Mitchell and originally transmitted on ITV on the 10th of August 1967 Dr. Jackson this is the last surviving episode from series 1 isn't it and the last
1: episode from season 1 the two survivors from season 1 top uh, top and tail the series
0: do you want to give us an overview of what it was about?
1: Yes. Oh, this is an interesting episode, this. It really examines the relationship between um, Callan and Lonely and Callan and Mears. So Lonely, in his day-to-day job as a thief, breaks into an empty flat. He's cased this up and recognized that the owner of the flat has been away for months. And while he's there, he is disturbed by somebody coming back in and manages to steal this man's wallet as well. Runs away, is then tracked down by somebody quite official-looking, who isn't interested in interrogating him at all, isn't interested in working out what's happened, just beats the crap out of him and asks where the stuff from the the robbery are. Turns out that this is somebody working from the section who has been sent by Mears, um, and Mears knows perfectly well who Lonely is and his relation to Callan. So Callan hears this and works out what's gone on and sees it as not only an attack on the section on Lonely, but also a personal attack from Mears, recognizing that Lonely is somebody that Callan feels responsible for. So Callan sees this as a direct personal threat, goes to see Hunter and basically says, an attack on Lonely is an attack on me. If you want me to keep doing your dirty work, you will leave Lonely alone. And Hunter grudgingly accepts that, but doesn't bother telling Mears, who, with his hired thug not having got the information he wants out of Lonely, goes back himself and puts Lonely in hospital. And uh, at that point, you know, you don't actually know whether Lonely's going to survive or not. The bloke that Lonely disturbed is a Russian agent who is being played by Mears posing as his handler from Russia to get the information that this bloke took from a uh, a research lab about a new nerve gas. And while well, the fellow's been in prison, they've not been able to get him to, to give up where this nerve gas is. And they've also been keeping an eye on his girlfriend, who it turns out was given a ruby ring by this fellow Pollock. She thought as a keepsake, it was actually where he'd hidden the formula. While she's been pining away with this fellow in prison, her mother has sold the ruby ring and used the proceeds to buy a house for the two of them. So when, when it comes to the big denouement in their, uh, in their house and they, they open up the ring to see where they, the formula is, it isn't there because it's, it's a replica ring. Mears is still playing the part of a Russian agent. Callan phones up the house and lets Pollock know that he's actually British Secret Service Callan then turns up at the house where Mears has been beaten up by Pollock after he's discovered that um, Mears isn't actually a a Russian agent. Callan calls in Hunter, who comes along, picks up all the pieces. Callan has two parting shots because Hunter has um, – very annoyed with Mears and annoyed with Callan, but recognizes that with Lonely in, in hospital, Callan's the only one who's going to be able to go after the uh, ruby ring that has the formula in. And he, he they have the receipt from the girl's mother to say where that was. And Callan's two provisos are that he will charge top rate for doing the job and that money is to be given to Lonely. And also Mears is put into a hospital bed next to Lonely. And, that ended the first series.
0: I hope that it won't be any big surprise to find that I really, really enjoyed this. Oh, it's fantastic. And we had Who alumni. Oh, go on. Hit me with it. Well, Pollock
1: went on to play Count Frederico in Mask of Mantragera with an impressive wig. I mean, Lonely goes on to play Yuvanov in Robots of Death, but Lonely one of the series regulars. So I, I still have
0: it. a problem getting my head around the fact that that's Russell Hunter and that only, what, not even 10 years in the future, he'd aged about 30.
1: The magic of makeup.
0: <laughs> that, that was and not the, entirely makeup. And the other one is Loder, who is the
1: thug that Mir sent around to beat up Lonely, was zar in Tribe of Gum, but also would become Greg Sutton in Inferno.
0: He would, whose name I can't remember, and I didn't, I had to look up and I thought his name would leap out on me straight away, and it didn't. I actually thought IMDB had missed him out. I can't remember his damn name now. I could look it up right in front of me. There we go. He was played by Derek Newark, Uh, but he plays a convincing thug. In fact, we had some great cast in this. Anthony Valentine, who played Mears, he has a lovely voice. It was quite reminiscent of a few others. That are, uh, people that spring to mind are, are like Gerard Murphy on radio, who did continuity announcements on Radio 4. Very similar to Anthony Head. That real smooth voice, that very measured, crisp delivery. Yeah, I liked his voice, even though the character he played was an arse. Yes, but was supposed to be. Oh, yeah, skillfully done. There is, I mean, there are several things that are running through these episodes. One is the quality of the guest cast, the ones that we've seen so far. As with a lot of 60s TV, to be quite honest, the guest cast are excellent. But another thing running through the episodes I've noticed, quite dangerously, is the penchant for characters to scratch their face thoughtfully with loaded guns. Now, what's going on there? Health and safety would have a field day with that. True, Um, but of its time in a slightly more blasé attitude to, to fire on <laughs> um,
1: the thing I, I liked about this is it was obviously a continuation of Callan's story both with Hunter and with Mears and you just wonder if the six episodes of the first series are each developing that relationship up until it gets the very dysfunctional point of this episode where there's sort of people almost getting killed because of how dysfunctional the relationship between Callan and Mears is
0: it really makes me yearn for more of this first series to be intact because this, it's not often, we've watched quite a few things where it's just been an ongoing story and there's not actually been character development. I think it would be fair to say it's been a very, very loose progression, but there's not been a, the development that there is here. They've got Callan by the balls. He really doesn't want to be working with any of these people. He doesn't like them, but it was established very early on. They've got him. He has to do this. A lot of the friction could be circumvented by whatever ministry it is. Just being straight with him. And I wouldn't care, but Callan's very straight about the fact that they're pissing him about is actually the cause of the friction. He'd work a lot better if they were just head on with him. And they've not grasped this yet. I think Hunter has, but
1: has a bit too much ego to, um, or is a bit too much of a control freak to mm. to just recognise that, and he's trying to placate Mears as well, and you just wonder whether M- Mears has been foisted on him, Joe Grant style. I, <laughs> she was. I want to be a spy daddy, um, and his is. I want to be an assassin daddy. Well, Mears
0: is a fucking liability. He cocks everything up massively. Callan is just so on the button. I mean, there's a the, the bit where Zah is in the shooting range and he's beaten up Lonely. Lonely's given a description of the man who's beaten him up. Callan's recognised who it is from the description. And this is in the office with not 110. Hunter. Hunter. He spots Zah on the monitor in the shooting range, just goes down and twats him. <laughs> And Hunter threw the speaker into the shooting room and says, well, you'll have to be more careful, won't you? That'll teach you a lesson, boy. Nobody gets on in this place. There's no camaraderie. <laughs> the It's Callan himself. I don't think this would be anywhere near as much fun or as slick if it wasn't for Edward Woodward's performance. A lot of the time, the little, I call them Shakespearean asides, but they're not, they're just inner thought, inner monologues. I really like that. That gives a depth to the character you don't get.
1: And do you know what a lot of this reminded me of? Hmm? Have you seen
0: the first Kingsman film? Annoyingly, no, I haven't. And I think it will be right right up my street.
1: Yes, it's excellent. And right at the beginning, when Taron Egerton's character is going for training with the the Kingsman organisation, it's him as a working class but very competent lad up against, posh and connected, Oxford, Sandringham, all of that, but far less competent people. And it had a really similar vibe to the the feeling between Callan
0: and Mears. I just love the fact that Callan is completely and utterly in control of the situation. He's a couple of steps ahead of the people that have sent him on the mission and are trying to follow him, not so much double-cross him, but make sure he's being a good little boy. He's way ahead, and... There's a moral side to Callan. It's not just a get the job done, take the money and run. There is a moral, a, a, this character lonely that he's clearly quite brutally cruel to about having a wash and etc. etc. but clearly has some friendly affection for, and to the point where he rounds on his employers and backs them into a corner over beating up someone who in all likelihood is a bit of a waster. A useful waster, but a waster. But an awful lot of that is
1: Callan exerting his independence and not-we
0: status. In terms of the actual quality of the print, both of the surviving episodes that we've watched from series one proper, they both suffered from the same thing, which the telecine print, because this isn't the original copy, it's... They both it, it,
1: survive on the original video. Do They're 405-line they, videos. Now, the ones that we saw on the Callan box set are optical transfers, as was a Magnum for Schneider. More recently, there have been electronic transfers of Magnum for Schneider and the first episode, and they're available on the... Oh, what, what's the documentary one that they, they put out? Uh, this Man Alone. Yeah, the most recent thing from Network. And that has electronic rather than optical transfers from the 405 line. They survive on the original videotape.
0: Uh, well, my mistake, then. They look like film transfers, just very badly done from the original 405 Efec- line.
1: Effectively, they work as their optical transfers.
0: Mm. They're quite poorly done, to be honest. There's a lot of ghosting from the time clock. I do now possess a beautiful, shiny DVD copy, thank you very much, of This Man Alone, which I will watch for future episodes, because this isn't the last we're going to see of Callan, is it?
1: No, this is Callan season one, and we're going to do each of the four seasons
0: of Callan. But yes, transfers, quality aside, the one thing that leapt at me all the way through this is if these had been done a few years later on colour film, oh, wouldn't that have been nice? And I think they would have actually been better remembered by the public at large. Because stuff like The Avengers, it seeped into the consciousness of, of the public, whether they've really seen it or not, they remember it. Callan, I don't think is. Um, Do the general
1: public remember the Avengers, realistically? If you were to ask 30-something Joe Blogs on the street, what do you know of the Avengers? And then oh, yeah, explain yeah, to yeah, them that the you're not talking about, about the whole thing. Callan was really well regarded at the time. My grandmother didn't have an awful lot of time for the Avengers. She thought it was a bit
0: silly, um, but she loved Callan. Well, I've been talking to my parents, asking them. There was a vague recollection of a programme called Callum, but they couldn't bring anything to mind. I've told them that we've been doing the Avengers for Kinky Boots. Oh, yeah, Steed and Emma Peel and Cathy Gale, they remember all that. But Callum, which was contemporary, really, they don't remember a thing about it. And to be honest, it's only because of Big Finish and you that I know about it. I vaguely knew the name, but I don't know anything about it.
1: So how old would your parents have been at, towards the end of the 60s? 20? Yeah, I would have thought that that's a little bit young for this to really appeal to. Yeah, but bear in
0: mind, there were only three channels then, and they would have, I mean, this stuff that, I, that was on when I was a kid, things like Maelstrom and uh, Moonlighting, I'm aware of them. I know the vague premise yeah, of them. Yeah, May-
1: none of those are anywhere near as dark as Callan.
0: No, that's true. But what I mean is, I, there I, were big I, things at the time, and I'm aware of them, and I, I vaguely know the gist of them. What a heart to heart stuff like that. The Equalizer—that was another Edward Woodward thing. I know was, of these it, things. But it was kind I don't... of a
1: redone Callan. It wasn't terribly good. Programs like Callan—you need a few years under the clock to realize that life can be a really shitty place to really appreciate it.
0: It's not casting any shade on Callan as a series. What I mean is, I just think it would be if it had been given that polished ATV treatment on colour, on film, just a few would have years got later. It some of the grit.
1: I agree with you on that on most things, but I don't on this one. I think the CD black and white, gritty really suits it in the way that it really suits Public Eye.
0: Oh, in fairness, you put forward a good case there. Yes. I'm certainly not... It's not detracted from the enjoyment of it one bit. I loved this.
1: It's like black and white Doctor Who. There are some black and white Doctor Whos that work really well as black and white Doctor Who.
0: Yep, can't disagree with you. I mean, I'm my purism buggered off out of the door a long time ago. I would happily see every single black and white Doctor Who colourised. In fact, just this week, I've seen a few minutes of The Invasion colourised, really beautifully colourised and upscaled. And my goodness mm-hmm. be it brings that meeting of the Doctor Jamie and Zoe with Brigadier Lethbridge-Stewart completely to life in a different way. Didn't lose a thing, but I am with you that black and white brings a sort of grain to it, a darkness that you don't it, it get with brings colour. It
1: a, a kind of grittiness to it. Mm. Something like the Time Meddler that's a bit grimy and has some really, really dark stuff to it. I think black and white suits really well. The Gunfighters
0: works brilliantly in black and white. It does, but that's quite a flat story. I think colour would really bring that to life. Somebody's done a colourised version of the Celestial Toymaker. Now, neither me or you have any real time for it, but it does bring that last surviving episode to life. So, yeah, I know, I know, I was sceptical too. It well, no, I mean, for the majority of stories, I
1: think color would be better. But I think there are some where you just want that grit and griminess where black and white serves it well. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Doctor Who. We're here to talk about Callan. I don't agree that a color shiny polish to this is what it needs. I think black and white grime works really well for it. It'd be nice to see better quality images of it but I don't think I would want to see it colourised in the same way as a lot of the espionage ones that we wanted. I think worked really well and look of their time in black and white.
0: Again, it's difficult to disagree with you. Black and white is always going to have a, a place in my heart uh, in the, a way that it's not going to for great chunks of the general public. But yeah, there is something about these black and white crime espionage spy things really draws you in in a way that it probably wouldn't if it was in colour. I do agree with you, yeah. Whereas something like The Saint, yeah, colorize all of
1: that, because that's the way it works best.
0: But this is just the next in a line of spy espionage things that we're doing. We have got plenty more to come. We have. So I will round us up on this, because we're we're still living under the threat of a some form of attack from... Extreme sunburn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, factor 5,000, please. Ah, dear Vlad. But yes, we shall be back next time with something on a very similar theme. Thank you very much for staying the course with us. Stay safe out there, as safe as you can be, boys and girls. We'll see you next time. Bye now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.